because you're jumping back into the gut. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome former NBA player and current G League head coach of the Grand Rapids Gold, Andre Miller, to the Basketball Podcast. Miller is a 17-year NBA veteran who brings extensive experience and basketball knowledge with him to Grand Rapids, having appeared in over 1,300 career games, the 22nd most in NBA history. Miller played college basketball at the University of Utah and was selected eighth overall by the Cleveland Cavaliers in 1999. He played for nine franchises, Cleveland, LA Clippers, Denver, Philadelphia, Portland, Washington, Sacramento, Minnesota, and San Antonio, owning career records of 12.5 points, 6.5 assists, and 3.7 rebounds in 30.9 minutes per game. After retiring from playing basketball in 2017, Miller became a coach in January 2021. He was named head coach of the Balbolo School's postgraduate basketball team. Later that year, he was named head coach of the Grand Rapids Gold. Coach Miller, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, got to ask you, I mean, so many different coaches you played for, and I'm curious how uh, they've shaped your coaching philosophy. So I'll just mention a coach and then maybe you can give us a few nuggets on how they've influenced your coaching in particular. Uh, and we got to start with Rick Majerish. I mean, I mean, Rick Majerish was everything to me, but, you know, the fundamentals, everything that I learned, which was really like preparation, how you come into the gym and how you're ready to practice. Those type of things are very important to me. Everything else about Rick Majerus, I haven't implemented because it was just too crazy. But, you know, he was he was definitely a coach that, you know, fundamentals, preparation, preparation, knowing your personnel, that type of stuff that I try to try to bring uh, to the youngsters. I'm sure we could trade some Rick Majerus stories. I've had a chance to spend some time with him. Uh, so I know some of that uh, that you talk about. But, uh, Coach, uh, I think you only played for Greg Popovich for one year, but Greg Popovich. Yeah, I was with Pop. I was with Pop. I was only in San Antonio for three months, you know, from February to, to April. One thing I learned about from Pop was there's a, there is a such thing as a player's coach. And what what pop is not only is he a, a a great coach but he's a great people person and being able to to me being able to relate to the players you know so it's not going to always be basketball he's going to come hey how's your family doing you know hey is there anything that i can do to help you know from my interaction with him so i think he is a people person to the fullest and that's why i think along with the coaching He's hitting it from both angles, you know, players, coach, and the people's person. Good stuff. And uh, George Carl. I mean, George is kind of like a mixture of Pop and, and Majerus, where George is going to teach the game. He's disciplined in his mind and things that he want to accomplish. And one thing I learned from him is he he's not going to overdo it. At times, he overdid it in practice because that's that's the generation that he came from as far as the amount of work that you put in practice. But with all that being said, 
Georgia's going to go let you go out on the court and figure it out. As long as you're playing the right way and you're communicating, Georgia will allow you to go out and 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 be aggressive. And and if you're doing it in a team, in a team environment with with team before me, then he can accept the he can he can accept winning and losing. Alvin Gentry and and I don't remember. Did you play for Alvin after he was? at phoenix or before no i'm playing with alvin gentry uh that was my fourth year in the nba with right. the Clippers. early on yeah that was that was way early on and i was young so great person great coach great people person the young me wasn't trying to hear all that you know i already knew how to play team basketball and stuff like that when you're young you just you, you don't want to be talked to it much you just want to go out there and play but you know, he definitely has some good stuff, and, and that's why he had longevity in the NBA because of his his people skills and his coaching abilities. As a as a point guard, did you value being coached by point guards? I mean, we can go through the list, but uh, John Lucas, Maurice Cheeks, Nate McMillan, a lot of guards were your coaches as well. Was that valuable? Yes, it was valuable, and and, and just like, all of us are point guards, but we still think the game differently from a point guard perspective. The fundamentals and the basics that we see, how we see the game is the same, but there's certain things that point guards may see a little bit different. So, you know, having a John Lucas, who's, he gets fired up. And then you having a Maurice Cheeks, who's kind of mild mannered. And then you have a Nate McMillan, who what I liked about Nate McMillan was he 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 was he had a lot of good quotes stuff that he can apply, you know that that's relatable to basketball. You know he will always say calm and collective, you know, and having a clear mind and stuff like that. So those are things that I observe on the on the different levels of basketball. This is fun hearing about this and your takeaways from them. And I, I believe Randy Whitman was the coach that you had two different times at two different points in your career and in his coaching career. So I'm curious from that perspective, what kind of differences did you see in him from the first time to the second time? Well, I had Randy Whitman when I was a rookie, so it almost felt like I was a rookie and he was a rookie head coach. I think early on my Cleveland days, he was trying to figure it out. You know, he was trying to figure out what type of coach he was going to be. At the same time, he was dealing with veterans in the locker room. So it was tough for him. And then when I had him in Washington, you know, of course, a decade or so later, it was more like he was more comfortable. He was more polished and and and, and more disciplined and more prepared for, for games. Everything that he wanted to get accomplished, he was able to do. Well, I love that. And I mean, especially from your perspective, going into your first or second year to talk about a little bit about the process of getting better as a coach. It's a similar process to a player, isn't it? That if you put in the time, you get the experience, your craft improves. Definitely. Exactly. And then I think Sam Mitchell you had for one season as well? I had Sam Mitchell also. And Sam Mitchell was old school, throwback. So he would challenge you, challenge you to be a good player, challenge you to be a good pro, and he will hold you accountable. And that's what I liked about him. He was straightforward, and there was an expectation just because, you know, I mean, he was an ex-player, and he was probably one of the better role players in the history of the NBA. So he knew what it ta- he knows what it takes to be a successful role player and 
what to expect out of yourself as a professional. So that's one thing I had a lot of respect for for him. So what an experience, uh, incredible playing career and now into your coaching career. Talk to us a little bit at first, what inspired you to become a basketball coach after retiring? I think just a part of me wanting to give back to the game, people that were there for me that taught me how to play the game and, you know, just not sitting around and, and, and just being involved. So I thought it'd be a good challenge to see if this is something that I, I want to do and, and move forward. Well, of course, a lot of people uh, described your playing career as you played as a coach, so it makes sense to a certain extent as well. Do you think there's much transfer from your playing career to your coaching career? I would think that there was a good transfer, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a totally different thought process as a coach, thinking through, trying not to overthink the game, number one, you know, from a coach's perspective and, and allowing the players to kind of figure it out. So it's a lot more talking, a lot more teaching on the coaching side. Curious, I mean, you played for so many coaches throughout your career that I'm sure have shaped your philosophy, but has your coaching style been shaped more by your playing experience or by uh, the coaches you have been around? Well, I think for me, even when I played, I, I picked up from all the players that I, you know, liked watching and and just tried to add to it and, and mix my own little stuff in. And, and as a coach, you know, I, I've been around, I don't know how many coaches you know since i was a youngster so i just try to take something from each coach whether it's terminology whether you know how they approach practice and you know how they communicate with the players and and then i try to throw my own two cents in it and, and see how that goes what maybe uh has surprised you about your first time as a head coach at the professional level that maybe you didn't expect well i mean everybody comes from different different levels of coaching trees some guys know a little bit more. Some guys know a little bit less. So you got to find a balance. How do you how do you not overcoach and overteach the game and 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 do enough where they can help each other and form the chemistry that way so they don't feel overwhelmed? Is there something that maybe you didn't expect as a first time head coach? No, not really. I thought I thought it was everything that I expected. You know, I mean, the, the preparation part, you know, pre uh, preparing for practice, you know, having a practice plan of things that you want to get accomplished, and then also trying to implement those things when you get to the game. So um, I have a whole new respect for, for coaches that have been doing it a long time, and they, they're trying to figure out ways to, to help their team do well. And of course, one of the things, I mean, you played for a lot of different coaches, a lot of different styles throughout your career, but... The game has changed a little bit even since you retired, right? So is that a bit of an adjustment as well in terms of how the game is being played now? Yeah, definitely. You know, you know of course, with the shooting and the Stephen Curry era, Damon Lillard, you know, and just everybody in general being encouraged to, to shoot the ball. The more three-pointers you could get up, the better. And, you know, it's hard to accept at times because sometimes, you know, some of those shots is almost like a wasted possession. It's the way the game has been moving, and, and, and I'm sure it eventually bounce back to the inside game, and we'll see how that plays out. Well, it might be part of your philosophy that helps bring it back a little bit in terms of those things. And you mentioned wasted possessions. So, you know, can you give us some examples of alternatives to some of those possessions that uh, maybe you would like to have seen instead of, it's, as you said, shooting kind of a three that maybe you felt was a wasted possession? The basic fundamentals of basketball, I mean, even when you practice, do drills like a, it's called a three-on-two or two-on-one, basically like a transition fast break drill. And, 
back then, when there was a fast break, you you running for a layup, pass the ball up, and you run for a layup. Now it's like if it's a fast break, guys won't even run to the basket. They'll stop at the three point line. It, it might be one person back on defense and three three on one, and a guy passes a guy to the other guy and he shoots a three pointer. So that's something what I call a wasted possession because you can get get a layup instead of taking that low percentage shot up in transition. Did did you go in with um, a certain expectation about the game per se, and then the reality was different beyond just, again, the style of play? You mentioned a little bit the players and how they're a little bit different than when you played, but is there anything else that stood out to you, the difference between what you expected and the reality? Well, I definitely feel that I have the mind for the game and I understand the game on all levels. But everybody doesn't think that way. So you have to go in with the mindset of helping guys try to get on the same level and the same page so there's there's no confusion. And at times, I just feel that you hear from just being a player that sometimes the coaches overcoach. And you don't want to talk so much and teach so much that the players start tuning you out. It's pretty simple, you know, just play defense, play team basketball, and, and try to figure out ways to put the ball in the basket and, and get stops. So as, as simple as that may be, for young kids and, you know, NBA and, and college players, they, they kind of complicate the game. And that makes it hard for everybody when it's a team sport. So you have to figure out ways to, to convince these guys the simple way of basketball is the best way. So was that easier for you as a as a coach since you experienced that a lot as a player in terms of coaches, again, overcoaching and not providing you the opportunity, as you said, to be able to figure things out? Well, I thought that I for my first season that I, I got my point across, things that I wanted to get done and, and really just teaching the game. But again, it's up to the players. You know, they'll listen. They'll listen. But every every kid has an agenda and, and something that they want to accomplish. To people in their ear and, you know, all types of madness that go on away from basketball to keep the guys distracted. And, and at times, you know, the guys, the kids find their own agenda as far as what they want to do and how many points they want to score. It's a statistics game. They feel that if they do score 20, 25 points and, 10 rebounds and six assists that they're going to get a call or or they might get an opportunity in the NBA. And, and that's not what it's about. You have to be able to fulfill a role. You have to be able to uh, communicate and have good energy with your teammate. So, so I'm curious about that from a G League perspective in particular, because most of the players that do get called up, even if they're on two ways, are filling a smaller role than they would playing on your G League team, for example. So what are some of the things that you can do to help prepare them for accepting the role that is going to help them in their career? I mean, it's tough to, to try to convince these guys that moving forward in their basketball career that all they'll ever be is a role player, especially coming from the G League, because these these guys were all the best guys on their team. So, you know, for whatever, you know, they didn't they didn't make that call or, or get that call from the NBA, and then they find themselves in the G League. And, you know, these guys know if they're going to get a call or if they got an opportunity to play in the NBA. Yeah, so it's all it's up to them to decide if I'm gonna be a good team player or I'm gonna just be for, for myself because I don't care about the NBA. A lot of a lot of kids look at it that way, and you just hope that you know you have enough good attitudes in the locker room to help with the team concepts, help with the team energy, and and, and focus on winning. 
and that's that individual statistics. Well, as, as I kind of talked about in the intro, I've, you had an incredible playing career, not just minutes, you know, played and career games and, you know, obviously statistics. But I'm curious from your perspective, did you consider yourself a role player throughout your NBA career? And that's one of the reasons you were able to stick for so long? Well, I think even superstars are, are role players. They have a role to play. Everybody has a role to play on the team. So it just depends on what type of role it is. You know, you might be a defender. You might be a rebounder. You might be a scorer. Everybody should know their role without even being told what their role is because the superstars are going to the, the superstars are gonna uh, stand out just on their work ethic and their talent alone. So for me, my role was to, to get everybody involved. It wasn't just necessarily scoring, but just to be an extension of the coach, get everybody involved and, and be a leader from the point guard position. So it didn't matter. Everybody has a role. Now, for the, the G League guys or guys that are on the cusp, you have a role to be a teammate, a good teammate, and do whatever the coach asks you when you step on the court. And that's defend and rebound. And if the ball finds you on the offensive end, then you shoot the ball. But, you know, that's that's the basics of basketball. So for me, I was a leader from the point guard position. My role was to pass, get everybody going and, and figure it out for myself as the game goes. Obviously, you're part of a great organization with the Denver Nuggets and being their G League affiliate. I'm curious with what you just said um, in terms of how a player accepts the role, how a player is obviously coachable and how they interact with their teammates. Is that generally interaction from the Nuggets on down towards you to be able to get a feel for certain players and whether they can play on the Nuggets? Well, I mean, the Nuggets have, a, the different Nuggets have an idea of the players that they want to develop, players that they want on their team. And, and they do a lot of homework on evaluating and, and finding players that, that fit what Coach Mike, Mike Malone wants. And, you know, my job is just to be an extension of the organization from a developmental standpoint and, and teaching the game and getting these guys, number one, you know, sometimes it's, it's all about winning, but sometimes it's also about developing, also teaching these youngsters what it takes to be a professional athlete on the highest stage, whether it be NBA, whether it be overseas, you get judged on your professionalism. And, and, and that's how I see it. It's great stuff. And, you know, you played in a lot of different eras of basketball with different types of coaches again. And we mentioned that uh, the differences in this area, maybe the way that you coach players, hard coaching is a little bit different than when you came up, particularly, obviously, through your high school, college years. Can you talk a little bit about the difference in terms of pushing and challenging players nowadays? You have to find the right balance. I mean, we're dealing in the age of, of sports where there's a lot of low management uh and, and there's not a lot of practice time you can do it it's more talking than actually practicing but you have to find the right balance and and my issue with the low management it, i mean if you're a professional athlete if you're if anytime you're not hurt you should be on the court practicing or contributing and being available and, and it's tough at times because you know it's, it's easy for a player to wake up and say you know what i don't have it today but as a professional athlete it's your job this is what the fans pay for. It's, it's tough. You have to find it right now. Hey, Coach. A brief time out from the podcast to bring you the Analytics Minute, sponsored by Hoopsalytics. Do you know which players should be taking what kind of shots? An analytics system like Hoopsalytics can help your team make better shot selection decisions. 
You can track every kind of shot each player takes, where the shots come from, rate the shot quality, track if the shot was contested, and see the results. For example, see which players are taking mid-range floaters and measure the results versus catch-and-shoot jumpers. As an added bonus, Hoopsalytics shot charts are fully interactive, so you can filter by shot distance, shot type, or even specific areas of the floor. Then watch video clips of all those shots or see the points per shot. Hoopsalytics brings the most powerful analytics to teams of all levels. It's easy to use and affordable. It's like AI for basketball coaches. Visit hoopsalytics.com ball today. That's H-O-O-P-S-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S dot com slash ball today to learn more and start analyzing your game for free. Well, and through your career, you definitely saw this, the rise and the development and the integration of sports science more and more within your training and within, as you said, load management and kind of some of those decisions. So uh, now we're in this era of certainly sports science and a lot of decisions are sports science driven. So do you value that now as a coach a little bit more knowing some of those things? No, not really. I think, you know, the analytics is kind of overhyped. Sports science may help in certain ways, but I mean, there's a lot of guys that have changed their eating habits based on sports science or sports medicine or sports nutrition, you know, change their diet and the way they eat and can only go out and play 50 games in a season. And there's guys that eat hamburgers and pizza and french fries all the time and can go out and play 82 games. What what science can't uh, contribute is how the mind of the athlete works. And the, the mind part, the mental part is, am I motivated enough to get up and, you know, work. So uh, science can't tell you what's going on in the mind of the athlete. That That's something personal. I'm curious throughout this year, obviously you had a learning curve as a, as a head coach in the G League and never having played there as a player. I'm curious, did you change anything throughout the year, whether it's your style, your tactics as the year went on to be able to be more effective for your team and be more effective as a coach? Well, I went in with, with the mindset of, you know, these guys are out of college. So that means that they, they've been coached, coached at a high level, you know, collegiately in some way or form. And, you know, now you're coming into a professional environment, you know, and that's what the, I tried to treat it that way. Even though it's the G League, you know, I'm going to treat you and, and communicate with you on the NBA level. And there's expectations on that level and, and accountability. So just because it was the G League, I didn't do anything special that was different than the NBA. You know, the way we practice, how we approach the game, and, you know, the mental part of it was, was pretty much the same as the NBA. Uh, more handoffs, more Zoom actions, dribble handoffs, different things like that. More a part of the game than they used to be for you. I mean, obviously, ball screen has always been a part of your game. But what are some other differences maybe in terms of actual tactics or style of play? Well, the actual tactics is just going out and hooping. There is no tactics. I mean, because these guys were playing with 30 or 35 second shot clock in college. And you don't have that much time on the NBA to, to pass the ball around seven, six, seven, eight times to get a good shot. On the NBA, is is quick decisions, reaction, and it's a certain way that you have to play, whether it be pick and roll or up-tempo, because coaches, believe it or not, I believe all coaches on the NBA level don't want to play half-court basketball. They want to be able to play defense. They want to be able to get the rebound, and they want to be able to get easy shots. So you don't want to overcoach that, because these kids watch the NBA. 
and, and it's like freedom when they leave college and, and get to a professional level because they know that they could show a little bit more on the on that stage. Talk to us a little bit about you mentioned less practice time. So what does Coach Andre Miller value in practice the most with that less practice time? I think the practice time is 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 really to communicate in fundamentals. Fundamentals because that's what gets lost in this game is the fundamentals of basketball. You know, how you come in and prepare yourself for practice. Guys come in or do your weights, you have to have a routine how many shots you want to get up. So, you know, you want to be consistent in the fundamentals of, of preparation. So you develop. That's how you develop into a pro, by having a routine, having having certain things that you do every single day. Because, you know, at times it, it may get boring, but that's a part of the process. So don't do anything special than when you did in, what you did in high school or what, what you did in college. Just a little bit less teaching and 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 more focus on fundamentals and routine. In terms of uh, player or coach Andre Miller, what did you or what do you find most valuable in terms of scouting report? What helped you the most as a player, and what do you feel helps players the most? I think with the staffing and with the amount of coaches that are on the sidelines now, when it comes to scouting and video, the job is so easy to where you could just put on a video and. After like about a minute or two, you have an idea of the team and the players that you're playing against because every player is different, but they're they're pretty much one dimension. So it's easy to prepare for them because you got the video and all the coaches to 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 put that out there. So that's not difficult. It's just about sticking to mentally preparing yourself to recognize the personnel, recognize the personnel and take away the strengths and force players to play to their weaknesses. So so did you like more understanding your matchup and understanding their strengths and weaknesses versus understanding what your opponent is running? What was it for you as a player that you valued the most? You know, I valued all that, but but then after that, it's more of a feel. It's more of a feel for the game. And you can work on a whole bunch of things and practice and want to do certain things and get things done. But then once you get to the game, the game might throw something, a curveball at you and something else might happen. So you got to be able to adjust. And and that's how coaches, that's how coaches get judged. Everybody knows what everybody's doing. How do you adjust when the game is throwing curveballs at you? Andre, for you as a player, how did you like to be communicated with the best way possible? As a player, I just, I mean, all players want honesty, they want respect, and they want to be told the truth. And anytime you can be transparent with the players, anything goes down or or something that you can't control, at least the players have an understanding that it was communicated with them. So for me, as a player, all I wanted to do was be demand respect, be communicated with and 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 there's an understanding the communication relationship between player and coach and for you how what was your best method to be able to handle winning and to be able to help your players understand to understand how to handle winning well i mean i mean basketball is almost like a roller coaster winning and losing is like a roller coaster so how you manage your emotions you know, when you get frustrated because, you know, after you play a game, whether you won or lost, you got to go play another one. 
So how do how do you manage your emotions? How do you manage how you interact with your teammates when you're emotional? How you how you interact with the coaches when you're emotional? So it's you know you don't want to be individually an emotional roller coaster based on winning and losing. You just gotta have a consistent professional mindset when you're approaching the game. I love that idea of the professional mindset. And of course, the other part that I was going to ask you about is losing and how it's best to be able to communicate to your team after a loss to be able to help them respond for that next practice or that next game. Well, from a coach's perspective, your players react to how you how you carry yourself emotionally winning and losing. Winning is important to everybody. But, you know, we all get frustrated, even coaches, even assistant coaches, everybody gets frustrated when you're not winning or or, or even if you're winning. So you have to have a, a good balance when you're losing. You want to talk a little bit. OK, this is why we lost. You know, maybe we should have rebounded the ball better. Too many turnovers and not necessarily dwell on it. Of course, back then there was there was no leeway. There was you, you mess up or you do something wrong. You come out of the game. For this generation, you have to let the players play through their mistakes at times, you know, because mentally, if they see you shuffling them in and out of the game, then they're going to lose confidence and that they're not going to trust you as a coach. So it's, it's a lot of things that play in it from both sides. What What is something in the modern game that you wish was present during your time as a player? That's a good question. Something that's going on now that I wish, you know, I like the physicality part of the game. You know, I wish it could come back, but then I also like the freedom of movement. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, both both are good, right? <laughs> both both are good. You know, that's why it's so tough for these. I mean, the referees get this is tough times for referees because the rules change. Beginning of the season, the referees go talk to all the teams and what things they're going to work on, what things they're going to get get better, focus on and stuff like that. And then then maybe a month or two in the season, it's all thrown in the trash and it revert back to, okay, referees are human beings too, so that they deal with certain teams and players certain ways that, that may affect the game. So Prior to your G League uh, position as a coach, you coached at the prep level essentially coaching high school age athletes. So I'm curious, again, what was the takeaway from that experience? And maybe what are some observations or suggestions for coaches that are coaching that level? Well, I think, you know, the AAU game and social media has, has, has pretty much kind of watered down everything. And it's very frustrating at times because everybody wants to find the easy way out. And, and on this level, you have to put in the work. You have, even if you're talented and you want to have longevity, you have to be able to put in the work. And and now guys are getting college scholarships just on a, a, a four or five minute highlight videotape. And then you get the kid, you're like, oh, well, oh, I thought this kid was a lot better than this. But it is what it is. That's how the game is moving. That's how social media is moving. And the game is always going to be about fundamentals and, and how you pro approach the game if you want to have longevity. Entering your second year as a G League head coach and then obviously your potential future head coaching positions or assistant coaching positions, what is Andre Miller going to do to help improve his coaching craft as he moves forward? For me, you know, I didn't come into this 
this coaching world thinking that I was a know-it-all. You know, my main thing is just to, to give back to the game. And when I say give back to the game, give back to the players. And hopefully players can have an open ear to want to get better and want to be a professional. And that's what I want to do. You know, there is no motive like, you know, oh, I want to go do this or I'm going to go try to get this job or go get that job. It's just staying in the moment and taking it one day at a time because that's how it is on a higher level. And that's why I had longevity because I didn't look way ahead. I took it one day at a time. And I focused on my fundamentals and my craft and my routine. And then it, it just ended up turning out to be 17 years in the NBA. So that's that's my focus is to give as much information I can to the to the player as I can. I didn't have a chance to meet you. I was in San Diego for a few days during Nuggets training camp. So I'm just curious from that perspective, what kind of direction did the club give you? You obviously got a chance to watch training camp, watch practices. What kind of direction did they give you moving forward in terms of the G League position? Well, I mean, this is a, a, a weird sister situation just because the team is in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is, is pretty far from Denver, Colorado and, and, and the Denver Nuggets. So the communication, everything was fine. You know, it's just, hey, it's a, it's a different setup on how this G League is, is, is what this team is. So. You know, it's, it's definitely a lot of things to focus on and encouragement and, and support. And, you know, the main thing is just to make sure the communication lines are super high just because the distance, just because of this is my guys. My guys can't just get up in the morning if we have a day off to say, you know what, we're going to go to a Nuggets game or maybe they'll let us come to a practice. It, but for other teams, that might be the case. So we're just kind of off in the distance and trying to figure it out and, and feed off the energy and, and the leadership of the uh, Nuggets management. Yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, a lot of the G League affiliates are within an hour, hour and a half at most drive. So quite a distance in terms of that. So this is your chance somewhat from your playing career to now your coaching career to maybe make a change or to try some changes that maybe you might have valued as a player. Is there anything that stands out in your mind that you would want to change from a player experience? after having been such a successful player? I mean, the, the the focus on becoming a pro and everything in general with the basketball all starts with practice. And and since that, that's not the case anymore, I wish, you know, I wish and I hope that more focus can be on practice time, development, weightlifting, all that, all that to bring back I mean, I'm not going to say that the talent is a little bit less, but the focus has to be on practice time, practice time, more practice time, more teaching instead of just, hey, let's throw these guys out there, give them, give them a little something and then let them go figure it out. More focus on practice. is definitely. So that's interesting. So you feel it's somewhat, it's more game-based right now. Everything's revolved around game-based preparation rather than obviously practice to game and the transfer that happens from those two things? For the most part, because in practice, that's where the the starters and the and the rotations are developed. Of course, when I play, I kind of have an idea, you know, who the starters are going to be. But at least back then, the starters had to go prove it in practice that, you know what, you're not going to take my spot. Now, okay, it's going to be one or two guys that, you know, okay, these guys are our starters. 
but to keep the competition level high, practice should decide who the starters are. Just because you don't, just because a player earns fifty million to a hundred million dollars, and he doesn't put in the time, why why should he be guaranteed a starting position just because he he makes fifty to a hundred million? So I think practice should decide because now you see in practice who are willing to work, who's going to compete when there's nobody in the gym, who's going to go put in the work in the extra time when nobody's in the gym. And I think if you get back to that, it'll make everything better. So for you as a coach now, do you feel that you can do that now, that you can correlate practice and practice effort to playing time and vice versa? I mean, no, that's all gone. That's all gone out the window. I mean, I'm just wishing over here. But yeah. I mean, you can't go in the gym and practice these kids an hour and a half, two hours a day because mentally the, this new generation is not, their attention span ain't that long. Routine and all those things, kids kids don't deal with that well, you know, the routine. So you have to be short, quick, and simple and get these kids in and out of the gym because the more they're in the gym, the more they're going to get frustrated. So they want to just play in the game and do what they want to do and then go home. So practices have to be like maybe like an hour to an hour and 15 minutes So because the players don't know how to compete. They don't know how to compete in practice, and you put them in a position to get hurt because they don't value the practice. So you don't want to go have guys playing super hard or scrimmaging super hard in practice, and they don't even know how to practice hard because they might end up getting hurt. Again, it's the balance. It's the balance of that. Uh, another part that's uh, more prevalent nowadays is obviously the trainer and each player having their own trainer. I'm curious your thoughts on that, on the rise of the trainer and the impact of the trainer. And we bo- we know there's effective trainers and there's less effective trainers. So let's just talk from the perspective of even an effective trainer. Do you value that? Uh, definitely, I, I value the trainer. Everybody has a job to do. I mean, you start with the organization, with the Denver Nuggets, that, you know, the trainers, the coaching staff, everybody was involved and everybody had a role. Trainers are there for injuries. Injuries. And and to keep your body right, to keep your, your car running smooth so it don't break down. Sorry, Coach, I meant more basketball trainers. So they only have their own personal basketball trainer. Oh, their own basketball trainer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I like that. I like that because you get to, you get to work on the skill work and, and a lot of skill work and a lot of fundamental skill work and what players want to add to their game. I, I like that a lot. Again. A lot of stuff that you work in skill work with a trainer, over half of those things you won't be able to implement in the game because it's five on five, not one on not one on one. So, you know, the skill work is definitely needed just for the mental part and the confidence. So when those guys are training in the summer or whenever they're training, when they show up, they can show that they've got better, gotten better as far as shooting and everything else. Yeah, I love that perspective, Coach. And, uh, you know, maybe as we start to wrap this up a little bit, uh, Coach, uh, what what is some advice to players as they move forward in their career? What are some things that you would say to players, whether high school or college players, in terms of their development and focusing on that? My advice is just, you know, stay in the moment. Stay in the moment. Ignore all the noise and distractions. And you got to be consistent. 
you got to be consistent and you have to be focused on the fundamentals. And even when you're, you know, you're out there playing basketball and you're trying to get to where you want to go and whether it's a dream, your dreams or whatever, the amount of work that you put in, you still have to take it to another level. Each time you work, you have to want to do more. You want to have to push your body to the limit. You want to be able to push your body to the, to the point of exhaustion or even more. And that's when you become mentally tougher, mentally stronger, and, and you become reliable and dependable. And, and that's, that's what, when you develop work ethic. And even when you do that, it's still not going to be good enough at times. You know, there's always going to be something that you need to add or something that a coach wants to see from his perspective. So you just can't, you can't get comfortable and you can't settle. So that's my advice to the youngsters. That's great advice. And uh, from your perspective as a player and now as a coach, what do you hope that coaches would understand more about players that could help them coach players better? I think patience. Again, we talk about balance. And a level, how do you have the balance of being patient and the expectations? Because coaches have a job to do. So, you know, you can't be too relaxed. And there are certain things that you want to get done. And sometimes you have to do it at the cost of at, at, at the cost of people, meaning that, you know what, I'm a coach. I'm coaching these, this team. And I might be on a three- or four-year contract as a coach. I have to get things done. I have to win. And on a professional level, you are judged only one way. You're judged by winning. You could be the meanest coach and nobody likes you. But if you're winning, everything's all good and vice versa. It's, it, it has to be a fine, it's a fine line, you know, and you have to find balance, you know, because it, you're judged on winning and losing. Well, so many great nuggets of advice throughout this whole podcast, Coach. I can't uh, thank you enough for taking the time and sharing with us. I know so many of us enjoyed watching you as a player, and we look forward to watching your development now as a coach. So thanks for spending time with us. Great. Thank you very much. Are you ready to take your coaching to the next level? Thousands and thousands of coaches have already benefited from Basketball Immersion's membership community, and you can be next. Join us as an individual coach or take advantage of our exclusive pricing for staff or club members and unlock valuable learning resources with access to cutting-edge basketball and coaching concepts that will save you time and improve your coaching and your players' enjoyment of practices and games. Take advantage of this opportunity today. Go to www.basketballimmersion.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout-out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.